Good morning. Uh, there are two readings this morning. The first one is in Exodus 20, verses 8 to 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within the gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh, seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Second reading is in Deuteronomy, chapter 5. Uh, verses 12 to 15. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Father, thank you again and again and again that we can come before you, that we are welcome in your presence because of your Son, that he has opened the door, that he has removed all obstacles, that he is able to reveal to us uh, your glory, your goodness, your plans, your purposes. Uh, thank you that you understand us better than we understand ourselves. Thank you that we can therefore come and uh, sit under your word and be taught and instructed by you. And we pray that your spirit will make your word what it really is. It will make it alive and powerful to bring us to conviction, Lord, to bring us to rest and to bring us to work. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. We are working our way through a, a bit of a, a more of a topical looking at things uh, from Genesis. So we've been looking at work and rest, and we want to kind of add a little bit uh, this week to that understanding. So right there on your outline, I've given you uh, Dorothy Sayers as a bit of an adaption of her saying, work is the creative expression of God's creative power through us, that as his image bearers, in service to the world and people for the glory of God. So quickly, some of you were here last week, some of you weren't. Uh, anybody experienced that reality this week? So we come back next week and ask again. Is anybody aware this week that I'm an image bearer because God has decided I am one? And he's given me stuff to do according to my gifts so that I may serve people or the world for his glory. Here's one. Good. One guy. Anybody else? Had that sense, that awareness, that wow. 
God has made me for this. Maybe a fraction of a second. Okay, fraction of a second. All right. So we've got to practice this, isn't it? To get it better. That kind of picture is so weird. It almost feels disconnected from reality of life, doesn't it? Is it possible to have that experience today still? That's the question I guess we wanted to ask ourselves. I mean, this sounds great. I mean, everything on paper always sounds fantastic, isn't it? But in real life, it's very, very different often. And so this morning, I want us to look at this because uh, things have really changed. On your outline there, you'll see how things have changed. In Genesis 1 and 2, and we're not going to spend too much time there this morning, um, for mankind, the funny thing is Adam and Eve had the privilege of actually resting in God's finished work of creation. And out of that rest, they could go and work, which is an experience, as I've said, we can only read about. Because that's not our experience. Our experience doesn't start with everything being very good, relating rightly to one another, with no obstacles, no frustrations, no fears, no uncertainties. We just don't know that world. We can't even try and almost understand it. And they had to go and work, keep the world and work the world. And ultimately God said to them, because I want you to rule and subdue everything that is unmeet. So I've given you this garden, this almost temple language. This is where you can go and rest and you everything is done already. He's planted all the trees and they were the best trees with the best fruit and, and there was rivers and waters and there was gold and all sorts of things happening there and they could enjoy that and then they could go into the world and subdue it and come back and rest in the finished work of God. That's the picture, isn't it? I mean, that's an amazing picture. But we unfortunately live in Genesis 3 to 11 world. All right, sin entered, and that really just shattered everything. Internally, there became suspicion and blame towards themselves and towards one another and towards God, and we saw those kind of, uh, just kind of deteriorated, kind of unraveled. The word that the Bible often used for sin is the word corruption. It's a, it's a terrible word. It's a word of an internal working out to bring destruction. Sin entered right into human beings, and everywhere they go, they just uh, are not quite what they're supposed to be. And so they don't really relate very nicely to others who are not what they're supposed to be. And then creation is not quite what it's supposed to be anymore. And it was no longer any more good. And it's broken. And it's frustrating. And it's now we work because work is a good thing, because God has made us to work. But now we toil. Because even if we work hard, that jolly weeds just keep on popping up. That's why Phil has got to come desperately to my house. <laughs> and the animals don't want to stand still. So you can name them and play with them. They're now afraid of us, it says. The dread of man will fall on the animal world and they will scatter as we come closer. You can't just walk up to the lion and chat nicely to him. Because he's afraid of you, he'll kill you, it says. Animals will now kill human beings, chapter 9. Of Genesis. This world is broken. It's shattered. We are afraid now because death has entered this world. Corruption has entered this world. Guilt has entered this world. We are guilt-ridden. And so all our work now is in this context, where no matter how hard we work, we will no longer rule anymore. So I just want to show you that. Quickly flip over to Genesis chapter 9. Very important for us to see that. So the world has really changed, isn't it? It's now toil and sweat and, 
and uh, you work hard and you put your money in the bank and then some government agencies help themselves to it. Gone. People are stealing and robbing and lying and cheating and you work hard and things just don't want to stay there. It keeps on coming down, breaks down again. The world is not the way it should be. So in Genesis chapter 9, uh, 8 and 9, God makes the covenant with Noah. And I don't want to get into all the details there. Right at the end of chapter 8, verse 22, God says to us, He will no longer, he will, sorry, He will not again intervene by wiping out mankind with water and wiping out creation. He will actually, as long as the earth endures, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. So God will uphold the creation. All right? Now, look at chapter 9, verse 1. Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. Verse 2. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground and upon all flesh of the sea. They are given into your hands. So now the relationships are shot. But did you know, interesting, there is a part of the verse that God gave to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1 that is repeated. Go and fill the earth and multiply. But did you note there's a part that isn't repeated? He said to them, go and rule and subdue over everything. No longer will man, through his effort, his work, be able to rule and subdue creation. That's gone. We've lost it. He repeats it in chapter 9 and verse 7. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. And there it stops. So no longer do we have the option, the possibility, to through our work and our labor and our effort, bring about a good, very good world that will stay like that. <laughs> it will deteriorate and fall back all the time. And you'll have to get up Monday and do it again. And you get up and you do it again. And you get up and you do it again. That's how the world will now be. Until we know Jesus Christ comes back again. And that's what we're living in. We're living in that world. So can you, in this world, as I've just described, I mean, I'm just being very nice to you. I mean, just read those chapters. Can you actually have the experience we've started with in our definition of work? Is it possible? To actually work with rest and joy and hope and certainty and excitement and wonder. Is it possible to do that? That's the question I guess we've got to ask ourselves. That's what I'm trying to address this morning just very briefly. So when we look at God's work... We looked at God had created, and then he rested, Genesis 1 and 2. Then we look at God's work in Genesis 3 to 11. He judged Adam and Eve, and he judged Cain, and he judged, and he judged, and he judged. Eventually, he judged in the flood, and then he judges at Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. And while God is judging, he is upholding creation. And we just read there, I will uphold it. I will make sure that day and night will happen, seasons will come and go, seed time and harvest will happen. That stuff will be upheld by me, but it won't be this wonderful picture we have in Genesis 1 and 2. But all the while God is doing that, there's this promise that runs like a, like a silver thread that he will redeem because his judgment is not complete. He will redeem. He is gracious to Adam and Eve. 
He clothes them. He kicks them out of the garden, and now they live in a world that is unsafe without the presence of God, without all of those wonderful things. But they're still alive. He keeps them alive because he wants to redeem mankind and his creation, and he actually wants to bring them back to rest. Now, it's a little bit more difficult to see that. So just quickly flip over to chapter 12. So all of this, chapter 3 to 11, God is judging and he's upholding, and all the time he is there is this faint, faint line of him redeeming, the promise of redemption, the war between the seed of the woman and the seed of man, uh, of Satan, will actually kept going, and there's this hint that there's something that's going to happen at some stage. We don't really know. You can't really see it. But the, the war is going to carry on, so life will carry on. But here's the great promise of God in Old Testament terms, as he calls Abram. So in chapter 12 and verse 1, the Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The language is a little bit difficult to pick up because we're not that aware of things. But interesting, God uses the word curse five times, or the Bible uses the word curse five times from Genesis chapter 3 to 11. And here he uses the word bless five times. So although God has cursed the world temporarily, Ultimately, he says, I will bless this world and all peoples of this world. Takes us all the way back to the Sabbath day when God blessed that day and made it holy as the goal and front of all his creative purposes. I want to bring you back to my rest. I will bless the nations. So God is doing all of this kind of work. He made, he rested, now he judges and he upholds, and he says, now I'm starting to redeem, because I want to bring man and creation back to rest, to blessing. That's my purpose. I'm not going to give up on my great work. You've got it, Molis? You still with me? You're getting a little bit more excited? Temporarily, life can be exceptionally tough. But God promises here that ultimately he will bless all peoples of the earth. Incredible, isn't it? Starts with one guy <laughs> all the way back then. So in any case, I, I want to jump a little bit forward. So Israel is demanded and commanded using this work-rest issue in two ways as we work our way through the Scriptures. So Israel has to image God, has to be like God, and remember, that's what we as, as human beings, we are to image God, we are to act like God. And so you find them actually in these two passages that was read for us this morning, and I kind of printed them there for you. The first one is that you have to keep the seventh day, the Sabbath day, as a rest day, which for them was Friday night, 6 o'clock, till Saturday night, 6 o'clock. All right? That's the Sabbath according to the Bible. All right? He says you must work for six days, and then you rest on this day, because that's what I did. You must image me. You must be like me. Be at work to uphold and to work the stuff and enjoy your work. But then on the seventh day, you've got to rest like I rested. Because I was satisfied with my work, I want you to learn to be satisfied with your work because I am the one who upholds all things. You see what he's saying? So if Israel did not believe that God was underneath all their efforts, then you would be frantic. 
isn't it? You would be afraid. You would be worried. Am I, have I worked enough? Have I made enough? Did I get it enough? The first Sabbath actually comes wrong before this, this command. Actually, as they come out of Egypt, God says to them, on the Sabbath you're not allowed to pick up any food. So you must pick up double on the day before the Sabbath so that it will last the Sabbath because I am your provider. Your effort and toil in the midst of a world that does not produce full out in accordance with the work you put in, because it doesn't, because I made it frustrating, will you trust me that it depends on me rather than your effort? So take off the day and rest. So you see, if you believe him, you can obey him. If you believe life is, despite its brokenness, still upheld by God, even though I have to go and work and work hard, by the sweat of your brow you'll now earn your food, can you rest in the fact that God is sovereign over everything and he upholds the entire universe? So rest in me, and then you rest the day and you get up to one and you work. Now, now most of us actually don't need this stuff because most of you only work five days a week in any case, even if you are working. We are breaking the law the other way around, isn't it? We've got to work an extra day. No, yeah. We'll talk about that maybe next week. But you see how incredible it is? So really he's saying, if you trust me, which you should, because this world is held together by me, not by your effort. So rest. I've rested in my work. I want you to rest in your work because it is based on my work. You see how it works? It's like layered. So there's the first reason Israel had to image God. Work hard but rest. Show the world how it works. They had a, introduced the seven-day week. The Egyptians had a ten-day week. Other cultures had different day weeks. God says, I want you to have a seven-day week. Which, by the way, they have investigated and find it's the best pattern to work by in any case. But some further issues on that later. The second reason is in Deuteronomy. Again, the Sabbath is commanded, but here the reason is different. The result is the same. Stop working. Do nothing. Take a break. Why? Look at right at the end. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. A different reason to keep the same day. The one is because you trust that I'm upholding the universe and the earth and all your work is in my hand. So trust me. Rest in me. Now he says, I want you to rest because I am your redeemer. I have redeemed you. And remember the plan is that through Israel, God will redeem, bless the entire world. Show them the necessity that we need to be redeemed by not working this day. Two reasons. I'm the provider and I'm the redeemer. If you trust me, you can obey me then you will experience me and you will be a witness for me to the world. Does it make sense? So you will enjoy what it means to be made in my image, even in the brokenness of this world. So you will have work, rest, work, rest, work, rest, yeah? and you carry on, etc. That's how you will image me. That's how you will be like me. That's how you will make me known. It becomes a massive issue the Sabbath. Right through the scriptures. The sign 
that you trust me is not, is are you keeping the Sabbath? And we'll have, maybe have a look at some weird ways in which the Sabbath was meant to be kept, not just in this simple way. But you see how incredible it is? How Israel was imaging God in both upholding the world by working and also recognizing the need for redemption. The two main points that God was trying to create. Ultimately, the story runs all the way through to the Lord Jesus Christ. So flip over quickly to John chapter 5. Where's John again? So Jesus obviously is doing most of his work on the Sabbath because while everybody else is resting, God is working. God is working to uphold the world while you are resting and God is working at your salvation while you are resting. So please rest in my work of creation and redemption. So this is what's happening. Jesus is enacting. Well, we'll have a look. Chapter 5 and 16. I don't need to say it. The Bible says it's much better. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath healing people, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried to uh, try all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, which he wasn't if he was God, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God, which is what he was doing. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? So Jesus says, since I'm God, I'm working while you are resting. And I'm doing the work of my Father. I have been upholding the world. Now I am busy redeeming the world, restoring the world. I'm allowed to work on the Sabbath because other passages tells us he is the Lord of the Sabbath. It's his. God is always at work while we are resting. Working for our salvation, upholding the world while we rest, bringing about salvation while we rest. Can you see how beautiful this is? This is getting really exciting. We're getting closer to where we want to go. Okay, can you see that? Now flip over quickly to Hebrews. We don't have much time. I know you are going to dit off now, so we need to get quick. Hebrews chapter 1. Just look at how this passage just captures the entirety of God's work in Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, and let's pick it up there in verse 2. But in these last days, He, that is God, has spoken to us by His Son. What Son? Whom He appointed heir of all things, meaning the one in charge of all things. Why? And through whom He made the universe. That sounds like creation to me. I don't know what to you. Does it sound like that? Same? He created everything? The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful will. Does he uphold the world that he's created? He's created it, he upholds it, and now here comes the jackpot. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Created, upholds, Sin entered the world and I don't know how to use that word. Broke everything, made it bad. He comes and he deals with sin, and what is he doing now? He's resting. It is 
done. Actually, he said it better. He said, it is finished. Redemption is completed. I, God, who have made the universe, upholds the universe, has redeemed the universe, I can sit. My job is done at the right hand of the Father. Isn't that incredible? That means that me and you can rest before we have to work. We're almost back to Genesis 1 and 2. We rest in Christ, finished work, both as creator, upholder, and redeemer. And from that rest, we now can work. Because our work no longer has to uphold the universe, create space for ourselves, give us comfort, give us an identity, give us safety, give us abundance. Because Christ is the one who has made and upholds everything. And on top of that, he has removed the power and the curse of sin. And you can rest in him. See how beautiful that is? That's why you have quiet times. You know what the purpose of a quiet time is? Is to find rest in Christ. Before you think by anything you're going to do today, you're going to change and uphold the universe. Because you know that's not going to happen. And so I don't do it in order to get an identity, in order to be recognized. I do it because I have an identity and I have been recognized because Christ has died for me. Now, out of that rest of soul that we spoke about last week, now I can step into my work rejoicing that I understand the meaning of the universe. I know Jesus Christ, the creator, upholder, and redeemer of the universe. I can be at rest. While I'm working. Isn't that weird? I can be at peace while I'm struggling to get somebody to see that they're wrong. I can be at rest when I have to go and weed that jolly garden again. Because Jesus Christ has done it. Working out of a soul rest in Christ's finished work. That's my joy. You see how it works? That's where you need to start. Do not go out there frantically running around thinking you're going to change the universe, you're going to change people's lives, and you are indispensable. You know that's not true. If you doubt, just look in the mirror. You'll see. You're pretty small, insignificant. And yet the Lord of the universe came and gave his life for you. So you don't have to run around like a chicken, chicken without a head. You can rest in him as you go and do your work. And so we, like God, need to image him. Isn't it? But we have to start by resting in him. Rest in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you go out and you do your work and you do the two kinds of work. Now we as Christians have got two jobs where the rest of the pagan world only has one job. They are running around frantically trying to make as much money because they think that will give them safety. Good luck. 
You work yourself to death to get the money, and then you work yourself to death to keep the money. By ever increasing fees so that people won't take it, because that's where your identity is. That's where your hope lies. We don't, we're not like that. Yes, we do work hard because we are workers made in the image of God and we enjoy working for the sheer joy of work because we are expressing our identity as image bearers of God. We don't work in order to get something that will last. We have what lasts, God. But we not only work in our normal day work, we now work for the redemption of this world because God says, I'm upholding this world still because this message of redemption has got to go out. So as you work, your normal work, make your jewelry, make your perfume, whatever it is that you do for a living, you do it and enjoy it because you're enjoying the world and you're upholding that world, but you can never be satisfied with that. There are millions of people who do not know anything about redemption. We are now working for the redemption of the world by gospel work. person you bump in at work you not only work hard because you're an image bearer of God. You are worried about that person's relationship with the living and true God. You want him to be redeemed. Somehow you've got to find a way of <laughs> doing it. You've got two jobs. Sorry, guys. If you become a Christian, it becomes more difficult, isn't it? The pagan will just have to worry about one job. But that's tiring. We can rest in that job, and yet we can work hard to bring about salvation. For the world. Because Jesus Christ says it's done, it's finished. You've got two jobs. He's inviting you to image his son. So, for the world are always working to rest. Eric just told me this morning while he's making surfboards. It's fantastic, eh? Has a good job to do, huh? give people fun and you use the energy of the waves and there you go incredible job he says he listens to the radio and the radio keeps on shouting the message of the world it's Monday yeah let's get going it's hard Wednesday hey the weekend is coming (laughs) we're going to work for rest that's what all the songs is every jolly week work so you can rest make a lot of money so you can go and do what you really want to do and then you have to come back and you've got to do it again Christians start the other way around. We rest. And then we work. Because work never has to give us rest. Because we have it in Christ. See how amazing that is? When you rest in the finished work of the Creator, work is not a chore. Work is a joy. Because you don't believe that anything you do should bring about the change in this world. That is God's work. To work hard, this is the word, word, Hebrews chapter 4. This is a very word, word. He says, make every effort to rest. (laughs) It's funny, eh? (laughs) Work yourself to death to rest in Jesus Christ. Because all of us, don't want to do it. We, that's not our natural tendency. We really do believe we will work and then get rest. He says, no, no. What you need to work hard is in your mind, in your thinking, is in your faith, is to rest, to enter the rest of Christ so that you can work. See how beautiful that is? It's an upside-down world. 
Strive is the word. Put in exorbitant amount of effort to be addressed in Christ Jesus. Are you working hard to be addressed in Christ Jesus? If you're not, you're missing understanding your salvation. You don't understand what Christ has done. So work hard to understand and enter that rest. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that because of Christ, we can rest in you. Rest. Known, acknowledged, accepted, secure. And nothing in this world or nothing we think we ought to do can rob us of that reality because your son has done it. He has given us eternal security. He has welcomed us by adoption into his eternal family. And he calls us each by name. He knows us. He who has created everything, upholds everything, and has paid doubly for everything. He is the one who invites us. Oh Lord, how majestic is your name. How incredible what you give us in Christ. How stupid we are that we think we'll find it anywhere else. So won't you help us to look intently deep into the Lord Jesus Christ until we experience the freedom that is ours in him so that we may be at rest. Thank you that you're inviting us today to do it again. For those who have never done it, turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Put your trust in him. He has done it. It's finished. And you will find a weird thing happening to us, Lord. You will energize us for life because we can rest in you at all times by faith. Do you indeed belong glory and splendor and thanks? And we pray this in your name. Amen.